What is up, New York Rangers fans, and welcome to episode 43 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent McCogliano of the USA Today Network, and we are back for another episode where we are, by the time this episode comes out, we will be less than one week away from the regular season opener. To get you guys set for that and everything to come this season, we have our guest this week, a familiar voice for many of you guys, Joe Micheletti from the MSG Network. Joe came on, we covered a lot of different topics, what it's been like for him and Sam getting ready to go back on the road this year, what it's been like covering the team when they couldn't go on the road, and a lot of stuff that we've observed in training camp and his impressions of the team and all that coming into the next season. Really full conversation where we hit on a lot of different topics. We'll get to that in just a few minutes. It's been a hectic week already for me. We were in Rhode Island on Monday and Tuesday. The team was up there for a team bonding trip. They played some golf. They did some skeet shooting. They had some team dinners, stuff like that. I didn't participate in any of that, obviously. I'm not on the team, but I was there for the practices that they held on Monday and Tuesday at the University of Rhode Island. Kind of a cool little facility there. Definitely different, very cold in there. A a lot different from the training center where they've got heating lamps for us everywhere, but it it was cool. You felt like the players really enjoyed themselves. They were on the ice for quite a bit of time both days. They had some Chipotle catered. We got to talk to them, not just in the formal interview settings, but got to kind of, you know, just shoot it with the guys a little bit in a more informal setting as well. Obviously masked up, keeping proper distance, all that kind of stuff. But was glad to go on the trip, get up there. Not that bad of a ride, to be honest with you guys, as far as coming from Westchester County. It's like two hours and 20 minutes each way, something like that. Stopped in New Haven, Connecticut on the way back. They got great pizza in that town if you guys ever have a chance to visit. Now, I'm here on Wednesday. I just got back from the morning skate. They're playing tonight against the New Jersey Devils at the Garden. So that's the big disclaimer here. I'm recording this podcast prior to Wednesday night game. And I know that that means that we won't be able to recap the game and summarize the game here. It's preseason, so I think it's okay. I got a lot of other stuff I want to talk to you guys about. Obviously, I've seen what the lineup looks like already, so we're going to dive into all that. Uh, barring some kind of crazy injury or something, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about here on this on this episode will still be relevant. But then for next week, just to plan ahead a little bit here, opening night is on a Wednesday, and then the Rangers in D.C., and then the Rangers come back to New York on that Thursday. So back-to-back games to begin the season. I'm not going to release the podcast as usual on a Thursday next week. It just doesn't seem to make much sense. So just so everybody marks it on their calendars and is aware, next week the podcast is going to come out on Wednesday. So be ready for that Wednesday morning next week. But for this week, we're keeping it to a Thursday. And, you know, unfortunately, like I said, we won't be able to really analyze the preseason game from Wednesday night. But we we already have so much to talk about with this team. And again, the lineup is really unchanged. And that's kind of what I wanted to get into at the beginning of this program. We've talked a lot about it throughout this camp. There's a lot of interesting things going on around the Rangers. A lot of players that you're wondering if they're going to break out. Young guys like Capo Caco, Alexi Lafreniere, Keandre Miller. A lot of new additions that are really interesting guys like Ryan Reeves and Barclay Gaudreau and Sammy Blay. And then, of course, you have your star power with Artemi Panarin and Adam Fox and, and Mika Zibanejad. So... Interesting team for sure. I think they're going to be a fascinating team to watch throughout the course of this season. But as far as the lineup goes, 
even though there was some talk in the beginning of camp about experimentation and all that, I think that was sort of Gallant just saying the right things and keeping the door open in case he did end up deciding to make any changes based on what he saw. But the fact is that this lineup has been pretty much the same from start to finish for training camp. It's what we're going to see on Wednesday night against the Devils. The only thing that is maybe slightly different from what we'll see on opening night is Vitaly Kratsov will not play on Wednesday. He missed a few days following, I believe it was the first Devils game when he sustained a lower body injury. Missed a couple days of practice, did not significant time. He was back out there Wednesday for the morning skate. I saw him skate and, and be a full participant this morning. So that's a good sign if you're a Rangers fan for sure. He's not going to play in tonight's game, which I think makes sense. Why rush him back when you still know that you have another preseason game to play on Saturday? So Kratzoff is out for the Wednesday night game, but making progress, clearly looking like he's he's almost ready, if not ready at this time. And so Julian Gauthier will continue to skate in his spot on the right wing on the third line. But other than that, this is really what we've seen from start to finish. And we'll run through it here. I have a new story coming out on lohud.com slash sports slash rangers on Thursday morning. So I would encourage everybody to check that out because that'll be an even deeper dive and more analysis than what we're going to do here on the podcast. But just to run through this lineup and reiterate what it seems like it's going to look like on opening night for you guys. The first line, here's the, this is maybe one place where you can say there's been some change. It's the same guys, Alexi Lafreniere, Mika Zabinijad, and Chris Kreider. But what we've seen from the beginning of camp and now in the second half or even probably a little bit more of camp is that the experiment with Lafreniere playing on his offhand on the right side did not last very long. He's back on the left, and now it's Chris Kreider who's the guy that is going to play on the right, at least unless something changes Gallant's mind in these last two preseason games. We're going to talk about that a little bit with Joe Micheletti in a few minutes, but to me, keeping Lafreniere, the younger player, on the side where he's more comfortable is the right move. The question is, is Kreider going to be effective on the right side? And I think that is up in the air right now. We've seen him try it a little bit in the past, never really had an extended opportunity there. Clearly, Gallant likes Kreider's chemistry with Zabinijat and wants to keep him on that line. Clearly, he feels the same way about Lafreniere. He wants those three to play together. But my question is, will there come a point if it's not effective, if Kreider doesn't look comfortable in that spot, when you have to reconsider? And you do have some versatility with this lineup because, in particular, Barclay Gaudreau and Vitaly Kratsov both have experience on the left and the right side. So I think you could shift things around a little bit if need be, it would change the look of your top six a little bit. It would probably force a guy like Kreider to play on the third line. But right now, the Rangers' plans, Gallant's intention certainly seems to be Kreider on that top line on the right wing with Lafreniere and Zabinijad. And I actually had a chance to talk to Alexi on Tuesday and asked him about that. And, and it, it became pretty clear that the way that camp started, Gallant went to him and said, you're playing on the right side, you're going to give it a try. I think as camp went on, Lafreniere wasn't feeling comfortable there. He expressed that not only to Gallant, but also to Kreider. He said specifically that him and Chris had a conversation about this and that Kreider at that point volunteered to, to, to move to the right side. Uh, I, I think everybody came to the conclusion 
that it was in the best interest of the Rangers not to force the younger player to move into a spot where he doesn't have a lot of experience. You're still waiting for him to to find his footing in this league, and and you don't want to also force him to be thinking about transitioning to a new position at the same time. So again, I, I think it makes sense to keep him on the left side. The question is, will Kreider work on the right? Second line, I think you would argue this has been the Rangers' best line throughout camp. Artemi Panarin, Ryan Strom, Capo Caco. We never really got a look at Panarin playing on the same line as Zabinijad. Gallant made it sound a little bit at first like he might he might consider it, but that, but that never really happened. And so that Panarin, Strom, Caco line has been together throughout. Caco, I think, is a guy who has impressed me during this camp. Has a chance, a chance, I'll stress that word, to break out this season with the added strength, with the experience. We know he's going to be used on the PK he is going to get more ice time. He's going to have more responsibility this year, and it's up to him to take that opportunity and run with it. But I think playing next to Panarin is only going to help his game grow. Then you go down to that third line. And I guess at this point, we can kind of call that the biggest question. You know you're going to have Barclay Gaudreau there. You know you're going to have Philip Hedel there. Kratzoff missing time. The question here is, will that hurt him? Will that cost him a lineup spot? Because what's happened is Julian Gauthier has been moved into that spot. And Gallant has repeated, I asked him about it again today, he likes the way that Gauthier has played there. So a lot of coaches will say you don't want to take a guy out of his spot due to injury. But the fact is that Kratzoff, this was a new opportunity for Kratzoff too. This isn't like he had been established on this particular line for a certain number of years. If Kratzoff isn't 100%, and if Kratzoff doesn't pick up where he left off or show some Gallant something that he likes in the next few days or week of camp, and Gautier, let's say, has another good game on Wednesday or plays well on Saturday as well, it's a possibility. It, it does seem to be a possibility that maybe Gautier could push Kratzoff out of the lineup after it seemed all summer like Kratzoff was destined for a spot in that top nine. I asked Gallant point blank today. If Kratzoff would get that spot back when he returns to the lineup. And he didn't want to answer. He said, we're going to see how it goes. So that tells you that things could be up in the air right now. Now, he said things like, we're we're going to see how it goes in other situations. Like, for example, with the right-handed defenseman spot on the bottom pair, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. And it's been pretty obvious throughout camp who that's going to be. So maybe Kratzoff comes back and and he gets that opportunity. I think... He prepared all summer thinking he would have that opportunity. I think the Rangers communicated that to him. So I think it would be a tough pill to swallow for him if he doesn't make that opening night lineup. But maybe Gallant buys a little time and says, you know what, we like what we're seeing from Gautier. You're not 100% healthy. Maybe they give Gautier a little run there in the beginning of the season. And if he takes off with it, that'll be bad news for Kratzoff. If he falters in any way, then Kratzoff would slide into that spot again. But... It also wouldn't surprise me to see Kratzoff there from the very first game. That's one thing we're going to have to wait and see on. Moving to the fourth line, this has been consistent throughout camp. Sammy Blay at left wing, Kevin Rooney in the middle, Ryan Reeves at Ryan Reeves at right wing. You know, people can talk a little bit about, oh, if Gautier's having a good camp and Kratzoff comes back, you know, why wouldn't you slide one of them onto the fourth line? Well, clearly, clearly, if you guys have been paying attention, the Rangers want defined roles. Have you heard that before? And this fourth line to them is exactly made up the way that they want it to be made up. 
big physical guys, guys that they feel like are responsible defensively, guys that are going to intimidate opponents, guys that are going to be really tough to deal with in puck battles and set that aggressive physical tone that Gallant wants for this lineup. And so that's why I, I think that fourth line is, is pretty much locked in for the foreseeable future. And, and, you know, maybe at some point down the line, if one of those guys isn't playing well, they consider a change. But that, that they've been together throughout camp, and I don't, I don't see anything changing that anytime early in the season. Then we get to the extra forwards, and here's where I think things are a little interesting. This is kind of like an afterthought in the grand scheme of things, but this is one of the few remaining up-in-the-air battles that we have for the Rangers. My position, and I wrote this over the weekend, was I thought that the Rangers would want to keep two extra forwards and that they would want one of them to be capable of playing center. Now, Morgan Barron is still in camp, but we know that Barron is the only forward remaining in camp, at least of the guys that we consider on this roster bubble, who can be sent down to Hartford without having to clear waivers. And that's a big part of this. And also, if he's going to be a healthy scratch, do you really want a 22-year-old guy not playing or would you rather him go to Hartford, play 20 minutes a night, have a lot of responsibility and continue to develop. I think the Rangers would choose the latter. So Barron to me feels like he's probably going to go down. They already sent Greg McKegg down, who is the other forward that was on that roster bubble who can play some center. He cleared waivers. He's with Hartford already. So that leaves, it looks like, Gautier, who we just talked about, and Dryden Hunt as the extra forwards. Now, neither of those guys can play center. The way that I think the Rangers view it is they have their four centers in Zabinijad, Strom, Heedle, and Rooney, and they also have Barclay Gaudreau, who we heard repeatedly over the summer they felt like can play center if needed. So I think barring an injury or something crazy happening, if that were to happen, I should say, Gaudreau would be the guy who who they feel like even without keeping an extra center, quote-unquote, they could slide Gaudreau in if something happened to Rooney or Heedle or whoever. So keeping Hunt and Gautier, who are both guys that you would need to expose on waivers in order to send to Hartford, takes away the possibility of another team claiming them. So I, I'm starting to think that this is the way the Rangers are going to go. And then with those two guys, I think they view Gautier as a guy that if there's an injury to a winger in the top nine, he can slide in. We're seeing that on the third line right now. And Hunt, I think they view as a guy who profiles well in that fourth line role. And so if there's an injury to Blay, Rooney, or Reeves, or if one of those guys isn't playing well, I think Hunt is a guy that they would prefer over Gautier in a fourth-line type role. So that's how I see the forward shaking out right now, if, if you're asking me to pick it today, which is what we're doing right now. And then we'll move on to the defense. Easy here. Fox and Lindgren are your top pair. Trubin and Miller are your second pair. I know people have questioned Keandre a little bit this preseason, especially because Lundquist and Jones and some other prospects have looked pretty good. And Miller has had a couple hiccups in some of these preseason games, but I think people are putting way too much stock into preseason games. These guys are learning a new system. They're working things out. I wrote about that at length on, on Wednesday morning after the morning skate and talking to Gallant and some of these guys. They're making adjustments right now. Like Gallant's system is simple. It's all about playing hard and playing fast and being aggressive. But there are subtle differences as far as what they're doing within the system, and especially for this decor, things that they are changing right now. And I think for Miller and the rest of the guys, it's a, it's a little bit of a learning process. But Miller's upside, we, we know what it is. He was an all-rookie player last year. 
Gallant has said from the beginning he's locked into a top four role, so there's really no question there in my mind. And then the bottom pair is where we did expect a little competition. Patrick Nemeth, we know, is going to play on that bottom pair, and it looks like, barring something that nobody sees coming, or maybe an injury or whatever, Nils Lundqvist is pretty much settled in that role. He's in the lineup for Wednesday night, which is very telling. He's been next to Nemeth throughout camp, which is very telling. And I think he's had a very good camp. I, I thought I thought his previous game, the game in Boston, where he had two primary assists, had a handful of shots on goal, I thought looked really great with the puck, did a really good job of getting his shot from the point through traffic, which is an underrated skill. He not only has a hard, accurate shot, but he's good at picking his shooting lanes. And I also thought he looked solid defensively. You know, he's not a guy that's going to body people up too often. I think I remember him throwing one hit in that game. But positioning's good. He's a smart player, is what you've heard from many different people. And, and I think he's earned this opportunity. He is the most advanced of the defenseman prospects in, in this organization. There's no doubt about it as far as the guys that are still rookie status to me. I know Jones had a good camp, and I know a lot of people have said that they'd like to see him get the opportunity. But don't forget, Lundqvist is older than Jones. He's definitely, to me, if you see him up close, built a little more solid physically. He's more developed physically. And he's a more advanced prospect. He's he's not only a higher-rated prospect by a lot of the scouts and the experts, but this is a guy who's been playing in a men's league, one of the three best leagues in the world, most people will tell you, for the last few years, and was not only okay there. He was one of the best defensemen in the whole league. He won awards in that league. Jones is coming, granted, after being a, a very good player for UMass, and, and you know, you, we've heard his coach say that he thought he was the best player in the Frozen Four, but he's coming from college. He's coming against playing t- you know, against teenagers, guys in their early 20s. It's a different ballgame. Lundquist is the guy who is the most ready, the most advanced, and I think he's the guy that deserves the first crack at this. And that's what it looks like is going to happen. So... Lundqvist there, not a big surprise. And then the extra defenseman, it's not going to be Jones. Doesn't make any sense. You want to send him to Hartford and let him develop, get a lot of ice time, get a lot of experience there, probably playing next to Braden Schneider, I would guess. And so your extra defenseman then is going to be Jared Tenorti, which leaves Libor Hayek as a guy who I think we can anticipate probably seeing on waivers at some point in the next few days. Goalies, Shosturkin, Georgiev, no surprises at all there. And with that, We're going to move on. We're going to get to our interview with Joe here, and then I will be back to answer some of your Twitter questions. Now let's welcome in a friend of the program, a return guest for us, and a great guy to help us get set for the new season. That would be Joe Micheletti, the broadcaster you all know well from MSG Network. So Joe, how are you? Thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. I'm great, Vince. Yeah, it's... uh... Good to get started again. Um, things are slowly getting back to normal. We're not there yet, but uh, certainly, you know, to start the season the way we have, as far as you know, as far as our ability to be around some people, um, it's better than last year. So um, it's all good. Yeah, much better. It's been good to see you around the rink and a lot of the guys and. Actually, I wanted to start with this because I, I was talking to Sam Rosen the other day, your partner, who we've also been seeing around the rink, and he was telling me the history of his partners in the booth. And Phil Esposito went on to become GM. John Davidson 
went out and to become team president. So you've been his partner after JD. So when are you going to start in one of those roles or when can we expect you to announce that hiring? Uh, as soon as Sam l- lends me some of his money, then I'm going to be, <laughs> then I'm going to be an owner. Oh, okay. So, All right. Okay. So you go GM president ownership. Yes. So I'm yes. waiting for Sam. I'm waiting for Sam to write me a check and then, uh, and then away I go. Well, Sam has a magic touch with these guys, it seems. So I don't know, yeah. uh, you know, we'll see what the future holds, but <laughs> well, so you guys are back on the road with the team now. I, I know that was in flux for a little while, but, but how, how nice has that been? I know it's only preseason so far, but in terms of you guys broadcasting the games, how much of a difference does that make to be on site? Yeah, it makes it makes a huge difference, uh, Vince, because, you know, first of all, you're in, you, you know, you're in a building and you, you're you're right in the middle of the action. And so um, certainly better to have fans in the buildings, but um, it, it just it puts you more in the present. Um, so it allows you to watch the game from a different perspective. And, you know, Sam and I you know, do the games differently. He being a, you know, a a great play-by-play voice, you know, he's got to watch the puck, who has it, identify the players, that type of thing. And that, that's really difficult uh, when you're watching it off, off a monitor. And so I give Sam and all these play-by-play guys around the, around the league such credit for, uh, for the job that, that they, that they've done and some have to continue to do. And, from my perspective, uh, a lot of what happens on uh, what happens during the game uh, happens away from the puck, happens away from the play. And so I tend to try and watch the puck out of the corner of my eye and watch everything else that's going on um, away from the puck. And uh, so many times that will tell you why things happen, why a goal was scored, why there was a penalty. And, and so uh, and so that's the two different perspectives that that we have and the way we watch the game when we're actually in a booth, you know, in a building uh, watching the game. So when that's taken away, I think it takes away something from our broadcasts. And so, uh, you know, so we're just we're, we're thrilled that we're that we're back inside the buildings. And um, again, spending a little bit more time around coaches and players. We still have, you know, we we still have. Um, you know, to wear masks on the plane. And, you know, we, we have some protocols that we have to continue to follow, uh, which, you know, we're fine with, we're fine with, because we're, again, we're, everything's not perfect yet, but we're, we're making our way back to that point. Yeah. I, I can only imagine the difference after years of doing the games in person, then to have to be sort of at the mercy of the monitor and, you know, what you see on the screen is what you get and, and what else is going on on the ice as, as you touched on it, you, you can't see it. And that's got to make it, much more difficult, not only for you, but especially like for the play-by-play guys like Sam, because, you know, if you don't see something that happens, how do you describe it? <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it's difficult. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the other thing too, Vince, is that, um, you know, what, what makes, I think our broadcasts and, and these are people that don't get, they don't get enough credit um, are, are all our people, you know, in, in the truck, our producer, Chris Ebert, our director, Larry Roth, uh, Brian Gallagher, who does all our tape work for us and, and, and everybody else. I mean, these are people that are really important to us, especially during the course of a game. When if I, again, if I'm in the building and I see something that happens behind the play and I can get on and, 
talk to them while Sam is doing play by play and nobody at home can hear me. And I can say, did you see that? Did you see what happened back on the blue line? Did you see what happened back by the net? Uh, and, and so they can find that and then come back with a replay. If it, if it's something that's important to the broadcast as to why something happens. And, uh, and so when we're in a studio and we're taking the other team's feed, as opposed to doing our own thing, it affects us as well. So we have these really good people that have done this work for so long. And so many, so many of them have done national work and Olympics and whatnot. And, and we can't use their talents either. Um, it, again, it, it takes away from our broadcast. So um, to be able to do that, again, we're, we're not all the way back yet uh, because they, they remain uh, in New York when we're on the road, but we have a couple more cameras and we have a little bit more control over uh, what we did last season. And, and, uh, and that helps also. Yeah. And that's pretty neat to hear about behind the scenes, how you guys are working, doing things that people can't hear to try to show things that you're spotting on the ice. Another benefit now is we're back in the ring for practice. You and I and several others have been there throughout training camp. So I, I want to go there with you as we get ready for the new season, as we assess this team, your impressions of camp so far. I don't know if there's anything that's standing out to you, but, but what do you think about what you see at these practices? Um, I, I think a couple of things, Vince, you know, the talent level overall um, with, with this group, uh, I think just continues to get, uh, better and better. And that's, that's a reflection of what they've done over the last, you know, three seasons, the kids that they're drafting. I mean, and you, and you've seen it. I mean, you, you look at this, you know, the thing that's really stood out to me is this group of defensemen that they have. I mean, there are some really good young players that are really close to making it to playing in the national hockey league that will not make it, but you look at the future of them, and they're 19, 20, 21 years of age um, that are going to be really good players. I mean, they're, they're going to be NHL players. And so you, you look at there's tremendous depth on defense uh, for the Rangers. Um, the other thing, you know, that, that stands out besides the talent. I mean, now there's, there's more talent with size, talent with size and skating ability. And that's, you know, that's an emphasis. I mean, you watch the Stanley Cup final every year. And or the semifinals, and what what is the if you look at um, what really stands out? Uh, it seems like year after years. Yes, you have to have talent, and you have to try and keep your health, but you have to you have to have size that can get you through the grind of a two or two and a half month playoff uh, run. And so, Rangers recognize that they're a little bit. They've got more of that this season and a few more of those types of players that, that will fit in. And so I think that in the, run, in the long run, again, that's, that's going to help them make a, you know, be a better team and have better balance for a team that can move forward. I, I want to go to the defense where you started, because that's one of the few spots that I think is still a little up in the air. Like, I, I think this training camp has been really interesting as far as the storylines, and there's a lot of interesting characters on the team. But the lineup, for the most part, is pretty set. One of the few spots we're waiting to hear on, and I think we all have a good feeling about who it's going to be, but the Rangers sent down a couple of those defensemen prospects you talked about, Braden Schneider, Matthew Robertson have gone to Hartford, but they still have Nils Lundqvist and Zach Jones in camp. And, and those guys, you talk about size, those are undersized guys, but they skate well, they're really skilled, they see the ice really well. 
that final spot seems to be coming down to one of those two guys. So your impressions of Lundquist and Jones, and, and if Lundquist is the guy, like a lot of us think he is, uh, you know, how, how do you see him coming along? Uh, I, I really like both players uh, because they, you know, I, I, I love watching players that think the game and see the ice so well and can, and can make plays. And both of these players have that ability to do so. Jones has a little bit more experience because of what he did last year when he came up and played for the team and, uh, and, and got a real good feel for what it's like to play in the National Hockey League. Lundquist is going through more of a uh, of a uh, educational period for two reasons. He hasn't played the National Hockey League. That's one. And second of all, he's trying to get used to playing on a much smaller ice surface than he played in Europe. And and that's a that's a huge difference. And you listen to him talk and he says everything's got to be quicker. Um, it would be quicker anyway, just playing in the National Hockey League and he wouldn't have as much time. But then you take away uh, the amount of, of uh, free ice that, that he would have over in Europe and adjust to that. And, and I, I, think he's, I think he's adjusted pretty well. And, you know, he's going to find out more if he's the one that plays in their, you know, in their season opener or the home opener. Uh, because it's going to be ratcheted up a few more notches than it is for these preseason games. So both players, you know, I really like one's a left-handed shot. You know, the other one's a right-handed shot. seems like Lundquist is more of a right defenseman. Uh, whereas Jones, I think has a comfort level on both sides. Nemeth, who's a left-handed shot is also comfortable on the right side. So that could still be a pairing. I mean, personally, I, I think they're going to start with Lundquist, um, just to, just to see what he can what, what he can do because there's no question that he's highly talented and so with these coaches they all look for this uh, can you defend well enough without the puck that's the that's the which I think is going to make the difference can you can you play when you don't have the puck we know when they have the puck that good things are going to happen the question is when you don't have the puck can you defend well enough to to stay in the lineup and that's that's what it's going to come down to I asked Gerard Gallant that yesterday, if the difference in this competition, because as you said, we know they're both skilled with the puck, is the difference going to be which guy he feels like is more ready defensively? He didn't want to take that bait, though. He said, no, no, we're looking at overall game. We're going to take the best overall player. Uh, But, I mean, Lundqvist, I thought, in Boston, looked really good. I thought that was his best preseason game. He had a couple primary assists. I thought he did a really good job of getting his shot through traffic. And I thought he was solid on the defensive end. I don't think he's going to you know, bang guys around a lot or make too many spectacular plays back there, but he's smart. He was well-positioned and I didn't think he made any mistakes that really hurt them on the defensive end. So to me, you know, I, I, the adjustment to the ice sheet is definitely a part of this, but he was such a highly accomplished player in Sweden. And, And a lot of people you talk to will say the SHL is one of the three best leagues in the world. He was named the best Swedish-born defenseman in that league last year at 20 years old, playing against men. So he, 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 to me, is a guy that I think is clearly the favorite here, and I don't think he's done anything in camp to diminish that. Like, if he if he tripped up or didn't look good, that would be one thing, but I think he's played well enough to earn the role so far. Well, you know, the other thing, Vince, too, is that, and we've heard this more so last season than, than, than prior to last season, when you start hearing um, – Coaches, scouts, general managers, uh, 
talk about him and then mention Fox when, when, you know, you know, because we've heard about obviously Lundquist over the last number of years, right. Uh, since he was a number one pick and now he's 21. So we stayed over there and he got more mature, both mentally and physically. But over the course of the last season, when you start hearing, you know, he thinks the game like Adam Fox, he's got a lot of those attributes. So, so when you start putting someone in, in the category with Adam Fox, it makes you think, boy, I can't wait to see this kid play. And I can't wait to see him develop. And if he's anything close to what Adam Fox can do, uh, obviously, you know, the kid's got a chance to, to have a, uh, a long career. So I, I think they're going to, I think that his adjustment, and I agree with you, I, I think he's gotten better as camp has continued on. Uh, the games, I think he's getting more used to. The physical side, what teams are trying to do against him, how he needs to play, the adjustments he needs to make, uh, it, that, that will be a continuing process for him. But I just have this feeling that they're going to, after everything they've seen over the last year, year and a half, and what they've seen in camp, I, I'm not saying their mind is made up, but I think that they're going to give him the first shot to see if he can continue to improve like he has and to see if he can do anything uh, close to what Adam Fox does. If he does, I mean, we're, we're going to see a, a group of defensemen that are going to be around for a long, long time. Yeah, Jed Ortmeyer, when I spoke to him about Lundquist, made that comparison and said he reminds him of Fox. So, you know, that, that's, a, that's a pretty good comparison, as you said. And then a lot of those guys, you know, Jones and Schneider and Robertson, who didn't make the team, they, they're, they're going to have a pretty interesting defense at, at Hartford. And then, you know, I'm sure we'll probably be hearing from at least one or two of those guys over the course of the season as far as call-ups are concerned. Want to move sh- quickly and shift to the forward group. I think, I mean, we know what these lines look like. They've been consistent throughout camp for the most part. I think maybe the one question mark is on that Mika Zibanejad line. They started with Lafreniere on the right wing, didn't like that, moved him back to left, and now it looks like they're going to try Chris Kreider on the right side. So you're going to have one of those, you know, traditional left wings shifting to their offhand. I don't know if you think that that's a big adjustment or a big deal. But, you know, the 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 second line has been consistent with Kako playing next to Panarin and Strom. The third line, you know, Kratzoff is out right now, but it looks like, you know, he likes Goudreau and Hedl with Kratzoff there. And then the fourth line, you know, that's really a, a new look line for the Rangers. That's going to bring a lot of that size and physicality that you talked about with Blay, Rooney, and Reeves. So they, they've got their lineup now. Chris Chris Jury's talked a lot about this clearly defined roles thing. And they subtracted skill with Pablo, by losing Pablo Buchnevich, no doubt but they do seem to have more clearly defined roles. So your general thoughts on that forward group and, and some of those storylines going into the season. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you uh, much. Again, they, uh, you know, how, how is Kravtsov going to be coming back from, from injury and, and is he going to be ready uh, to step in there and play? And I, I think the other thing with him is, you know, they, I think they want to find out exactly what they have with him also. When he was, was, uh, put in the lineup last year after coming back from the KHL, uh, there was, there was a lot of anticipation by all of us, right. To see what kind of player he was, uh, he could be. And so I think he, he, he impressed, I think a lot of people from the standpoint that he's a, he's a, he's a pretty trustworthy player when he doesn't have the puck. And I, and I say that, and I know that, you know, people get tired of, well, when he doesn't have the puck, but you still have to have that. You know, you still have to have that. Uh, the You look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, and guess what? Though all those top players, when they don't have the puck, 
they're effective players. And so you have to learn how, how to be a trustworthy player with and without the puck. And so I think he, he showed that. And I think he was somewhat hesitant when he did have the puck and to make plays because he didn't want to make a mistake. And so I'm anxious to see how he, how he develops. I think the fact that, uh, that he's playing with, with, um, with Barkley Goodrow on the, on the left, who's really going to help these two players. And he's going to help everybody because of his experience of winning cups and, and, and he can play with top players. So uh, I'm, I'm anxious to see where, where Kravtsov goes with this. And uh, if he can take that next step of really being in a, an effective two-way player, uh, because there's no question that he's, he's, he's got a lot of tools. You watch him play. He's got size. He's got, he can skate, can handle the puck. He can do all those things. Now the question is, can you take it to a level where now you're a consistent player and contribute in all those different areas? And, and, and I, th- I think that's, that's what a lot of people want to see. Do you see Kreider playing right wing as, as a difficult thing to do? Is that a hard transition or do you think that it'll be something he can adjust to? You know, here, here's the way I look at, at that. Um, I, th- I think it was the right move to, to put Lafreniere back on his left side. Uh, not that he couldn't, you know, eventually end up over there because he's a smart kid um, that's got a great attitude, but he was the number one overall pick at left wing. That's his comfort zone. That's where he doesn't have to think as much. He can, he can just play the game and react and not worry about, is he, you know, how do I take this puck off the boards on my right side? Do I take it off my skate? Do I move my stick around on the other side? Then once I get it, where's the defense? You know, those are things that you have to think about. And so by putting him back on the left side, he's got a comfort level over there. So I think you have, you're giving yourself your best chance for success with him by playing him on the left side with Chris. Uh, and we've seen this throughout Chris's career. Um, when he's going, I mean, up and when he's going up and down the left side and all he's thinking of, of doing is skating, shooting and hitting and getting in using his speed. That's, that's when he's at his best. The problem for Chris has been, he goes for long stretches where he, for some reason, he gets away from doing that. And he's a, and, and you know, Chris, he's a, he, 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 he thinks about a lot of things. He's a very bright guy off the ice, you know, obviously well-educated and well-read, but I think, you know, his, when he has those stretches of ineffectiveness, he overthinks, he's thinking too much. And so if you put him over on the right side, um, I don't, I just, I, I think that he's got an easier transition with a, with his consistency to his game playing over there and a better chance that the line will have success with Lafreniere being in a more comfortable position on that side. And the way Chris shoots the puck, a left shot on the right side, if you learn and you get a comfort level with that, I think he's got a chance to score more goals. I mean, we've been waiting for, you know, I mean, I still think Chris with all his talent uh, is a 30 to 40 goal scorer, but he, he hasn't scored 30 goals yet in his career. And so uh, on that side, if he learns to play it and is comfortable with it, I think he's got a better chance of scoring more goals on that side than he does on the left side. 
I definitely agree with you about Lafreniere. I think it didn't make a lot of sense to, to put him in a place where he's having to think things too much or or worry about a transition. I think, you know, keep him where he's comfortable. And Kreider makes more sense to try on the right side. If it doesn't work, they have other options. They can move things around a little bit more. But I'm, that's one of the things I'm interested to see because I remember Quinn looking at that a little bit and it didn't last very long. So we'll see what happens there. Last thing I want to ask you about on on just the coaching staff, um, impressions of Galan. I mean, to me, it's it's much different than it was with Quinn. You can even hear it from the players. Just he's not a guy who's going to be in the locker room a lot or, or seems to really be too concerned about building off ice relationships. But he does kind of let the players have their fun and police themselves. And, you know, he, it definitely feels like a different regime. But but what are your impressions so far of Gerard Galan? Well, <clears throat> I've known him a long, long time. Uh, I've known Gerard for, boy, since he, since he got into the league as an assistant coach many, many, many years ago. And the one thing about, about Gerard is that um, he's an old school type of player when he played, coach, and, and he believes in the old school way of doing things, of not overcoaching, uh, not too much video, not many meetings. You know, he's a coach that and you and you tend to see this now when there's new coaching hirings around the league where these coaches in the offseason, they got they fly to Europe to go see their players. They fly someplace else to go see the players face to face. They that they spend their summer doing that. And, you know, the other day when I was talking to Gerard, you know, and I asked him, I asked him about that. And he just said, he said, I don't do any of that. He said, he said, you know what, I'll, I'll get a chance to meet him on the ice or on the bench. You know, I said, that's, that's what I wait for. And so that's an old school mentality, which kind of fits into his coaching style. His coaching style is come here and go to work. Okay, just go to work. You've got talent. If you work at it and you put in the kind of effort you need, your talent's going to come out. So just do that. And if you don't do that, then it's not going to work very well. So, and he gives his assistants, um, a lot of time and a lot of space. So he is one of the unique coaches. He's in the minority in the National Hockey League with that style because just about everybody else, it, the, the coaching style and philosophy has changed so much over the years. But Gerard has been able to have success without going that way without totally turning it over and, 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 and having, it, it just seems like almost every minute you, you, there's something that's, that's gotta be done. You, gotta, you have, you have a meeting a power play meeting, a uh, penalty killing meeting, you, you meet with your leadership group. You're going to, you know, so that's, that's the way it's become uh, in the league, except, except with him. And he's got, he's got a, a great deal of confidence in his, ability to coach that way. And he's, he's had success. So now personally, I, I've always liked him. Um, he, again, there's, 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 there's not a lot of gray area to him at all. Uh, he keeps saying, you ask him a question, he gives you an answer. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, as a, as a person, he's tremendous. And I think he's a very good coach and the way he handles people. Yeah. He, he definitely seems like a, a straight shooter uh, from our early press conferences so far. It, and one thing that struck me that Ryan Strom said the other day is that the fact that he isn't super hands-on, it has made this leadership group take more ownership 
and, you know, organize captain's practices and, and organize workouts and, and just sort of police the locker room a little more on their own. And I do think that you've seen this leadership group sort of come into its own a little bit more in the last few years. They all feel a little more established, at least it feels like to me. And so I guess with that last thing, any hunch on the, any hunch on the captain? Because that's what fans are asking me all the time and they want to know. Do you have any any gut feeling about who that might be? I, I, I think it's between, again, this is just my opinion. I think it should be between two people. It should be between uh, Adam Fox and Jacob Truba. One of those two, to me, is, uh, you know, would they, they'd both wear it proudly and do it justice. And by their attitudes on and off the ice, uh, by their performance, by their effort, uh, you name it. I think, I think either one, you know, I, I can understand them being hesitant to give it to Adam Fox because he's only been in the league for a couple of seasons. Uh, but this, you know, there's something special about Adam Fox, not just the way he plays, uh, but there's something special about how he handles himself, how he answers questions, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, just his, his uh, the overall respect that his teammates have for him, and the respect that he garners around the league. So I wouldn't hesitate to give it to Adam Fox. And I, but again, I can understand they might think, you know what? It, it's does he need that pressure coming off winning a Norris Trophy? Uh, does he need that pressure? And would that be the best thing for the for the team and for his performance? That's so important uh, to to a team success. But uh, but for me, for my vote, it'd be one of those two. Interesting. You know, I think myself included, a lot of people think Truba, Zabinajad, Kreider, because those have been the guys that have worn the A's, especially last year. But, uh, you know, Fox, I guess you, ha- you have to look at him as a dark horse candidate, even though it's only his third year in the league. Obviously, he's garnered a lot of respect in the locker room and around the organization. So interesting to hear that that uh, that point of view from you, because I kind of thought you when you said two, I was like, which two is he going to say? And uh, interesting that you said Fox. So, all right, Joe, I appreciate the time so much. It's been great seeing you around the rink. Thank you for taking a little time this morning and I'll be seeing you again soon. That, that's the good news these days is we're seeing each other almost every day again, which is great. Yeah, it is. Vince, uh, thanks. I always appreciate the time and uh, always great being on with you. Thanks. And we're back. Thanks again to Joe. It's always fun to have him on and chat some hockey with him, chat some other stuff. As you can tell, Joe is a little bit of a prankster, likes to joke around, likes to have some fun, which always keeps things loose around the rink as me and him and Sam and some of the other writers and broadcasters are just hanging out and killing time quite often. We're together pretty much six days a week lately, which is a welcome, welcome thing coming after a year in which we really didn't see each other at all and just had a text and Zoom and and that sort of thing. But I, I think we covered a lot with Joe on there and a lot of that stuff with the lineup we even addressed in the beginning of the show, but... Obviously, want to get his opinion at the end about the captain thing. And, you know, you got the wheels turning, I think, for a lot of people, I'm sure, who are listening to this a little bit. When we've talked about the captain stuff previously, it's always been Truba, Kreider, or Zabinijad. And I still do firmly believe that those are the front runners. Those guys are the most established. They've been the, the leadership group. And I think they're the guys who are most well respected by the young guys on the team. But I don't think that me or anyone else should dismiss Fox as a dark horse candidate, as a guy who 
Maybe the Rangers are considering. Maybe when they look at the three guys that we've talked about, while they are good veteran leaders, they clearly didn't decide to name any of them captain last year. Now, this is a new leadership group at the top in terms of management with Chris Drury, but he was here at that time. And maybe they see Fox as the leader of the new wave of talent. It's something I wouldn't completely rule out. And it's something I continue to ask around about a little bit. But this is the, the lid is pretty tight on this. I can tell you guys that. I think I've talked to, I don't know, a few dozen people about who the next captain might be. And I probably got a different opinion from everyone. A lot have said Truba, Kreider. Still a decent amount have said Zabinajad. And you've heard, I've heard a few people like Joe who, who are saying, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Fox. I still, again, if I'm ranking it, I think Fox comes in behind those other three. But it's interesting that we're this deep into it. I asked Gerard Gallant on Tuesday to confirm that the plans are still to name a captain before opening night. And he said yes. So I think your antenna should be up in the days leading up to that game, maybe Monday or Tuesday next week. Mine will definitely be up. But it's crazy that at this stage of the game, when we're so close to the captain being named, a lot of us still feel like, wow, I don't really, I I don't know. It's not down to one guy or two guys. It's really three and some might say four. So interesting, interesting, interesting. By the time we record this podcast next, we should know, I hope. Wait, watch, they'll do it like Tuesday night after I've recorded, because again, I told you guys the new podcast is coming out next Wednesday, but hopefully not. Hopefully we'll know before then. We'll have to wait and see. For now, let's jump into your Twitter questions, and we will start with one from at DD underscore rebooted, who wrote, Yo, Vince, could Kratzoff start in Hartford with Barron if Gautier has stolen his opening night roster spot, then be called up after? Or is that just an overreaction? I would find it hard to believe that they are going to send Vitaly Kratzoff to Hartford. I think he played there for an extended time already. He did everything they asked of him in the KHL last year. And then he came here and played 20 games in the NHL. He, by all accounts, people I talked to over the summer, both with the Rangers and away from the Rangers, Everybody seems to feel that he's ready, that the next step in his development needs to be a real NHL opportunity. We've seen Gautier get opportunities. Now, Gautier is an interesting guy. I think a lot of people could look at it, especially from the outside looking in, and say that David Quinn never gave him a fair shake. And I do believe that Quinn didn't give him enough leash, that Quinn did not give him ample enough opportunity. But I also do believe that people who watch Gautier will see the speed, big, strong kid. I mean, as far as like you look at a, a guy in the Rangers with like, you know, their their gear off or whatever, Gautier is a specimen. He is a strong dude. He is probably one of the three or four fastest skaters on the team. He scored a lot of goals in the AHL. So th- there's there's obviously some some tools that jump out at you that you like. But in terms of feeling the game, in terms of hockey IQ, in, cur- in terms of knowing what to do in different situations, it was not just David Quinn. There were multiple people that I heard from that felt like he just wasn't there. He wasn't a guy that could be trusted in all three zones. And even when he went to the net with that speed and that size, 
he wasn't always finishing. I mean, if, if he was pouring in goals, I think that would have been one thing. And he did get a handful of goals in, in his time with the Rangers, but it, it, it's sort of this back and forth. Like, I definitely get the argument that he deserved more of an opportunity and probably didn't get enough of a look. But I also don't think that he was playing as well as the perception seems to be. And I do think that there were clear flaws there that it wasn't just David Quinn who was seeing them. I can I can confirm that and tell you guys that with certainty. So Kratzoff, to me, there's more upside there. I think his game at this point is probably a little more well-rounded. I think the Rangers saw a lot of the two-way stuff that they wanted to see from him in the KHL last year and even when he came over. So to me, if he's healthy, I still think it would be in the Rangers' best interest to give Kratzoff an opportunity. But Gautier is having a good camp. Maybe he is starting to figure things out. And Gallant maybe is more inclined to give him an extended opportunity than Quinn was. That's very possible. Still, with all that being said, I I can't rule out completely Kratzoff going to Hartford because he doesn't have to clear waivers and that wouldn't be a hard pill for the Rangers to swallow from that perspective. But I think that it would risk eroding their relationship with a player who felt all summer and I think in some ways was led to believe that he was an NHL player. He didn't go to development camp. Remember that? Drury said he wanted him with the NHL regulars. I I don't see him going to Hartford. I, I, I don't think that is going to be the outcome. I think if anything, maybe they would keep him on the roster as a healthy scratch, milk the injury a little bit longer to give Gautier a few games and give him give him an opportunity and then plug Kratzoff in, you know, after he's fully healed and, and after, I guess, you get a chance to see what, what you have with Gautier. Now, if Gautier takes off and it's red hot out of the gate, obviously you can't pull him out of the lineup. But Kratzoff, I think, was the guy that they had penciled into this spot all summer. And you'd hate to think from his perspective that a minor injury that cost him a couple days of practice would all of a sudden make him lose his spot. I don't think that that is going to be the case. So I would sit here and tell you today that I do not see him going to Hartford, even if Gautier continues to play well and does end up in the opening night lineup. All right, let's get to our next question, which comes from Alexi Cotaranta, who asked, how would you describe the Rangers locker room chemistry from your point of view, seeing practices, etc.? Do all guys joke around and chat with each other, or are there smaller groups and some guys more by themselves? especially the younger guys from outside North America. Well, Alexi, I've told a few people this lately. To me, this team feels closer each year that I've been on the beat. Now, this is only the third year. So granted, I haven't been around a really long time. And last year, it was a little harder to tell because everything was via Zoom. But to me, the Rangers went through a few years where there was a lot of roster turnover and a lot of uncertainty about what the future of this team would be, who the core would be made up of, which prospects were going to make it, who was going to be traded, who was going to, you know, which veterans were going to stick around. So there was a lot of question marks as far as who was going to form the core of this team. Now that is mostly in place. You have Panarin, you have Zabinijad. You have guys that are a little more established, but then you also have young guys that have broken in and had some success and that the Rangers are, are clearly 
committed to developing, like Lafreniere and Kako and Fox and Lindgren and Miller. So there's this there's this core that has come up. They've played, a lot of them have played together for at least a year or two now. And I think what, what has stemmed from that is that because these guys have spent time together, because they can see a future together, that it has really helped with that closeness and that locker room chemistry that you talk about. And yes, absolutely. When you watch practice and when you see the guys interacting with each other, very loose, a lot of laughs. There's definitely some guys that I think are good at keeping it loose. We heard Ryan Lindgren talk about it on the podcast last week. Ryan Strom is right near the top of that list. Even Anthony Potato, who's down in Hartford now, but I think he's a guy that a lot of the teammates enjoy being around. Lafreniere is a guy that I know they, I feel like they laugh with him. They laugh at him. He's a guy who is just, Gallant said it the other day, he's not cocky, but he's always loose and he's always enjoying being around the rink. So I think there definitely, to me, feels like a closeness. We heard Chris Kreider say it. He used the phrase, there's a lot of love in the building right now. So to me, yeah, I think that these guys are fitting in more. And even when you mentioned the North American guy, I mean, the guys from outside North America, which, which Lindgren mentioned yesterday, those tend to be the quieter guys, and you can understand it. English is not their first language, and they're in a new place with people they haven't known for very long, so completely understandable. But even guys, from what I've been seeing and hearing, like Capo Caco and Philip Heedle and some of these other young European players, those guys, I think, are starting to come out of their shell a little bit more, too. So they do feel like much more of a together unit right now. And, and the, the new guys... Ryan Reeves, Barclay Gaudreau, they seem to be fitting in quite well from, from what I've observed and what I've seen so far. They, they are also good at not only keeping things loose, but then setting the right tone on the ice. And I think some of the young players like the notion of those tough guys that have a lot of experience and have been on winning teams, that, that those guys have their back when it comes down to it. So yes, to me, from what I'm seeing each year, I think they've gotten a little more close-knit. And this year, to me, is probably the closest that I've seen them so far. All right. Final question comes from Duncan Fairweather. And listen, Duncan, I don't mean to pick on you, buddy, but your comment has caused quite a stir. And I think we need to set the record straight before we finish off this episode. Duncan wrote, what kind of leftover pizza? Because I mentioned that when I was preparing to record this episode, I was munching on some leftover pizza. Told you guys earlier in the show that I went to New Haven, Frank Pepe's great spot. If you like the, the thin crust, well done, little char to it kind of old school pizza, which is my favorite. Frank Pepe's is a, is a great place to visit and check out if you're ever passing through New Haven. And he also asked me, which method do I use to reheat it? Well, as far as what kind of pizza, we got two kinds of pizza. We got the, the white clam pie, which is a specialty at, at Frank Pepe's. I'm a big seafood guy. You could put seafood on anything. I actually had lobster pizza the day before when I was in Rhode Island, because Rhode Island is a great place to get seafood. Uh, the other kind of pizza we got, though, was a traditional red sauce gravy, as some might call it, with sausage and mushrooms. But the method to reheat it, this is the source of controversy. I'm an oven guy. I'm either putting it in a regular oven or a toaster oven, and I'm putting it at a relatively high temperature, because think about this. When you go to a pizzeria, that has slices in the window and you say, hey, I want a slice of plain and a slice of sausage or whatever. How do they reheat it? They stick it in the same oven that they cooked it in. High temperature. I was always taught to cook. I, I worked in Italian restaurants when I was younger and got through college that way, paying the bills. You want to cook pizza at a high temperature is my experience. And so 
I want to put it in an oven at a relatively high temperature. Maybe not quite as high as I would cook it when it's fresh, but probably 400 or so. I'm putting it in that oven at, reheat it, get that crisp back in it, get that cheese nice and ooey gooey again. And that to me is the way to go. Pizza stones, I'm a big fan of that. I have one when I make my own homemade pizza. I use a pizza stone. I saw some people comment and respond, and we got a lot of comments on that thread, that they like to use a cast iron, which, hey, that's fine. If that works for you, I think that that's a good way to keep it crispy. To me, the crisp is a really important part of this. But what I have a huge problem with is the microwave. If you dare stick your pizza in the microwave, you're turning it to rubber, you're disrespecting anybody who's ever made pizza, and I think you should stop listening to this podcast right now. I'm obviously joking. You can keep listening to the podcast, but rethink your ways. This is wrong. You're hurting my family. You're hurting everybody I've ever cared about by doing that. You're turning your pizza into rubber, and it's not right. Make sure you reheat it properly and you get it crispy. I know some people like to eat it cold. Listen, I've done it. You know, there were some college nights where we came home very late, and uh, you reach in the fridge and you take some cold pizza, and that's fine. But my preferred way is hot. I want my pizza hot. I'm going to reheat my pizza so, you know, listen, if you want to eat it cold, I'm not going to give you a hard time for that. But if you stick that pizza in the microwave, oh, my God, you're, you're going to upset me. I can't even talk about this anymore. Don't put it in the microwave. That's the end of this episode. Actually, one more thing before we end the episode I want to mention. I have a little note here for myself. I'm going to be away this weekend. So the Rangers have their last preseason game Saturday in Bridgeport against the Islanders. I will not be covering that game. I have a good reason for it few things going on here. So Thursday, I have a new story coming out Thursday morning. I am going to do more writing on Thursday as well. I have a phone call scheduled. going to have another story for you guys coming out Friday morning. So we will have a, a new story to get you through the week each morning, as well as the podcast coming out on Thursday morning. But Thursday night, we are having a surprise 60th birthday party for my mother-in-law, which is in Maryland. So I have to, I'm driving down to Maryland Thursday. The Rangers are off. Actually, I don't even think I'm going to leave Thursday. Quite frankly, I think I'm going to leave Wednesday night after the game. So going to be a long night tonight for me. After I'm done with all my interviews and everything, I'm going to hit the road to Maryland. So I hope my mother-in-law isn't listening to this, by the way, because we're having a surprise 60th birthday party for her Thursday night. And then over the weekend on Saturday, my sister-in-law is getting married and Friday night is the rehearsal dinner. So a lot of stuff going on going to be with the family down there, really looking forward to it. I know it's kind of a tough time of year to do it, but obviously family is going to come first here and I'm not going to miss my sister-in-law's wedding. So I'll be down in Maryland for Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, coming back on Sunday. And that way I'll finish off training camp and be at practice on Monday and Tuesday before turning around and going right back in the same direction to cover the game in DC on Wednesday night. But that is the life we lead. It's still fun. It's going to be a fun weekend, even though I'll probably be tired for a lot of it. So wanted to give you guys a heads up there. I will be off the grid this weekend, but I will be back on Monday. And again, I'll have stories for you still, fresh stuff on Thursday and Friday morning. So it's really just Saturday and Sunday where you won't be hearing from me. So with that, wanted to get that out there so you guys know if I'm not co- that I'm not covering the game on Saturday night. And I will be back next week with a new episode. Again, we'll be previewing the season. I think we're going to have someone on to talk a little Capitals with us. And that will come out on Wednesday morning, not Thursday But for now, I'm going to go. Got a little more work to do. And then I got to drive into the city because we got a preseason game tonight. So I hope everybody enjoys it. I hope you guys have a great weekend. And I will talk to you soon.